Welcome to Ride Every Stride, Episode 6. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis. This is a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm here today with Master Horseman Van Hargis, and we're going to be talking today about groundwork. Yes, groundwork. Yay! It's the thing that everybody hates, but it's the most important thing. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't, know if, I don't know if you'd call it the most important, Laura, but it is pretty darn important. But, you know, here's the reality, and this is why groundwork to me is so important. Even to people who ride a lot, we still spend more than 85% of our time with our horses on the ground. And it amazes me when I hear people say, because just the other day at the, at the ranch, I had a client come out and and so, oh, well, he's fine once you get on him. <laughs> and, I thought, and I thought, oh, my goodness, so how are you gonna, what are you going to do to get on him? Like wrestle him or get a whole team of guys to help you hold him still or whatever? So groundwork's extremely important just for that reason. It's safe for us. It just makes us our interaction with the horse is a lot safer because we do spend so much time with them on the ground. Well, maybe I'll play the dummy for now because it just now occurred to me there might be somebody that stumbled across this podcast who doesn't spend much time around horses. So what's groundwork? What do you mean by groundwork? Well, groundwork is, is where we're, we're interacting with our horses and both of our feet are still on the ground, hopefully. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're interacting. But groundwork to me is it's, it's kind of a detailed plan maybe. But it could be anything from the process of catching your horse the process of teaching a horse to stand, teaching a horse to lead. Basically, anything we are, any type of interaction we're going to have with our horses is really going to be considered groundwork. Um, it's developing those positive behaviors, hopefully, and eliminating some of the negative behaviors. And with that said, what are some of the positive behaviors? Man, I don't know about you, but I want my horses to be extremely well-mannered. I want them to be easy to catch. I want them to be a, a pleasure to lead when I stand them somewhere. I want them to just stand. I want them to kind of stay in their space and not on top of me. I don't want them to paw the ground. I don't want them to fidget. I don't want them to, to pace. I don't want them to, to nip and bite. I don't want them to kick at people. I, I want them to stand quietly when they're tied. I don't want them to pull back and fight. So all of those things are considered groundwork. I you don't want to, much, do you? I don't want much at all. <laughs> I just want that horse to sit there and be polite. <laughs> But, you know, I oftentimes refer to it as like, you know, it's working with horses on groundwork is like getting kids ready to go sit at church on the front pew. You know, we can't expect everything to happen just overnight. It's a process. And sometimes that process includes creative thinking, such as distractions or whomever or whatever the situation may be. But, but either way, there's not a greater compliment in the world when you're leaving church and your kids are just so well behaved. I mean, doesn't that make you feel yeah. good? So uh, there's probably not a greater compliment to be given to a parent than to for someone to say your your kids are so polite and they're so well behaved. As a horseman, I can tell you the same thing happens there. There's nothing that makes me happier when people brag about my horses. Not that they're pretty. I mean, anybody can have pretty horses, but horses that are well trained and well behaved and a pleasure to be around that even kind of create the appearance that they are both loving and love to be loved and love to be loved on. That to me is something that I like when people want to come and spend time with my horses, not because they're good-looking animals, but because they're so well-behaved and, the, and they appear to be very safe. So I would really like for everybody to experience that. 
And I bet you hear a lot because I've heard people ask you this. How do you get your horse to act like that? How yeah. do you get your horse to lead like that? Right. Or, you know, you know, and that is so true. You know, and Scooter's my main squeeze. He's the one that goes everywhere I go just about. And, um, and it was funny because years ago when we did a lot of touring with him. I was amazed how many people remember him and wouldn't remember me. <laughs> He's so prettier than you are. Equine jealousy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the reason that people liked him so much is because he was so personal. It was it was because he was so well trained, and and that didn't happen overnight. Matter of fact, when I first got Scooter, he was terrified of people. I got him when he was only four months old, and you couldn't touch him, couldn't do anything with him at all without him just being incredibly frightened. So we had to, number one, get him over the fear. And then once we got him over the fear and started being handled, we began to show him the behavior that was going to be tolerated. So we began to narrow down his boundaries, you know, that nipping wasn't allowed, pawing wasn't allowed. And you might ask, well, what did you do with horses that nip? And let's let's address that because that's part of groundwork too. You've got a young colt. And he's, uh, he's kind of what we call nippy. He's wanting to nip at you, wanting to bite at you or whatever. Well, first of all, we have to look at the fact that horses go through the same types of de- developmental stages that us humans do. One of those developmental stages is what they call the oral fixation stage. And the reason that oral fixation stage exists is that it's a form of communication by identification. Horses want to learn more about their environment by tasting it, experiencing it. They don't have fingers. They can't reach down and pick things up and feel of it. So they have to smell it and taste it. So oftentimes if we're handling them a lot, they want to taste us. They want to say, hey, what are you about? You know, what do, what do you taste like? And they don't know any different. They don't realize that their teeth are big and their teeth are sharp and their teeth are, you know, very hurtful to us. They just want to play or they want to taste you to find out what you are in their environment. Is that similar to the stages babies go through where they yeah. put everything in their mouth? Yeah, they're crawling around the floor. And next, you know, they got a June bug in their mouth. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, they just, they don't know. They don't have no idea, but they're going to taste it and put it in there. So yeah. it's kind of like that same developmental okay. stage. So what we have to do is realize, you know, that's, that's normal. So I don't want to punish him for that curiosity. I don't want to take away the horse's curiosity. But if I think far enough ahead, what are going to be some other things that I'm going to need this horse to learn about me handling his mouth? So if he wants to taste me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give him a big taste. So what I'll do is I'll literally put my fingers in his mouth and I'll massage his gums and I'll run my fingers over his tongue and I get him used to me handling his mouth. At the same time, I'm satisfying his curiosity. And the reason it's important that I get him used to me handling his mouth is because one day I'm going to want to deworm my horse which is a whole nother problem. I have people call me all the time going, I've got dewormer all over me and all over the barn, <laughs> everywhere but in my horse's mouth. What do I do? How do I fix this? So I think, oh my goodness, let's just go back and spend some time and just getting the horse used to your hands and your fingers being in his mouth so that he's very comfortable with that. And then we begin to introduce objects such as the deworming tube or a bit later. Well, since you've brought that up, you're talking about this in the context of a young horse that's in that stage, sure. but can you use that same principle, that same process with an older horse oh, that, absolutely. that's problematic? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just mess yeah. with their mouth a lot. Right. And, yeah, but okay. no, we, we might do that with them for a different reason. We're yeah. not necessarily trying to satisfy his curiosity. We, our goal there may literally be just to get him to where we can bit him up properly. In fact, okay. we've got one of the horses at the ranch now that one of the reasons that the girl brought the horse to me was because she had a very difficult time in bidding him. So what we did was long before we ever tried to put the bit in his mouth, I, I mean, I just took her word for it. Yeah, I guess he's going to be hard to bit. So I just immediately started spending more time just running my fingers in his mouth and handling him 
and getting him used to me being around his muzzle area. And as a result, the very first time I tried to slip the bit in his mouth, it just slipped right in. Now, part of me is going, I wonder if this horse really had a bidding problem or I just wonder if she didn't know how to bid him. So now that we, we want to make sure that he is okay with bidding and then we'll educate the client better on how to do that process. Okay. But, you know, all those things are considered groundwork. You know, all of those things would incorporate groundwork, getting a horse where he can handle their ears, getting them where they can handle their muzzle, or we can even, you know, brush over their eyes. Handling a horse from literally from nose to tail is all a process of, of groundwork. But let's look at groundwork from another perspective. Let's look at groundwork from a perspective of working on what we might call our ABCs. And for those of you who've been on a previous episode you or have listened to us on a previous episode, we knew that the ABCs of riding a horse was forward movement, the control of forward movement, and the stopping of forward movement. So whenever we're working a horse on the ground, it's the exact same process. So let's say I can get the horse to the arena or to the round pen. The first thing I'm going to work on is just getting this horse to move and move forward. And if I get him to move forward, then I'm kind of ahead of the game. The next thing is I want to be able to control that forward movement. I want him to go forward movement to the left, forward movement to the left at a trot. Now I've got the forward movement that I want, and I've also got the control of forward movement, both directional as well as the speed control that I want. And then later I can give the horse a chance to rest, and maybe me rest too for that matter, and I can work on the stopping of forward movement. But I'm going to ask you though, Laura, if I'm asking a horse to move around the round pen and I'm making that sucker go around the round pen, why is he going? Because you're making because him go. Because we're making him go. Therefore, when we're going to do the stopping of forward movement, what do we do? Stop we making just him. quit making him go. And eventually, he's going to come to a stop. And when he stops, then he gets an opportunity to do what he wants to do all along, which is rest. Now that he's resting, now I can practice catching him. So for those of you who have horses that are hard to catch, it's not a matter of just chasing them around until they find a corner that they can no longer escape. It's a matter of letting the horse understand that if he moves his feet, you're going to make him move his feet. If he moves away from you as if he's trying to avoid you to catch him, you need to convert your energy to making him move away from you. Be committed to making him move away from you to the point where he no longer wants to move. To the point when you stop to give him a chance to rest, he's going to rest. And then from that moment on, we're just gradually going to be closing the distance between us and the horse. So we can actually teach a horse that's very hard to catch to be very easy to catch simply by practicing the proper groundwork. Okay, so and we'll go into that more later because that's catching a horse is oftentimes it's a problem that I think personally deserves a lot of attention because that's another one of the biggest questions that we get. They've got horses that are hard to catch. How do we make that happen? So we'll address that more later. So what's the purpose of groundwork? The purpose of groundwork is to teach our horses how to be caught properly, how to be handled properly, how to be handled safely. All of those things are very conducive to us having better vet trips. When when a veterinarian comes out to our place, we want the vet to be able to do his job without having to sedate the horse every time. It's also good for other professionals, such as farriers. We want a horse that's well-behaved and well-mannered so that when um, the farrier comes out to trim his feet, the horse will stand there quietly and politely. And folks, that's up to us. It's not our farrier's job or our vet's job to train our horses. That's our responsibility. Another question that comes up to me is like, well, how often do I work on groundwork? And with me, every time I am riding one of my horses, I've got two opportunities to work on groundwork. When, and actually three, when I go to catch him, then when I lead him to wherever I'm going to saddle him and go to ride him. And then lastly, when I go put the horse away. So if I, if I have a difficulty in catching him, we're going to start working on groundwork right at that moment. When I am catching him, I want the horse to hold his head in a very safe and comfortable position for me. So we'll work on that process as well. When I get ready to lead the horse away, I want the horse to lead properly. 
So all of those opportunities or all of those situations create opportunities for me to work on the groundwork. And then we take him up, we groom him up and we ride him. At any point in time that the horse does something that I'm not in favor of or that I don't approve of, then it's my responsibility then to to change it. You know, I want to tell a story here. Many years ago, we had a guy that used to do a little bit of work with us from time to time. And, and it was always my job to kind of go into town to get him. And when I say town, we're talking about a big thriving metropolis of maybe about 200 people. <laughs> but uh, and we lived just a couple of miles outside of town. And it was my job to drive into town to get him. And keep in mind, I wasn't really legal to drive. I was only like nine or 10 years old, but I would jump behind the wheel of this old 55 model pickup truck and point it in the right direction and eventually end up in the little town and I'd go get our little helper. Well, one day my stepdad said, um, well, go into town and, you know, get Joe Bob. That's not really his real name, but go get Joe Bob. Let him come out to help us. And I thought, oh man, I don't want to go get him. This is, well, why not? Well, daddy, every time I go to get him, he farts in the trunk <laughs> and well, Dad, this very serious looked at me and said, well, just tell him not to. Well, I thought, well, okay. So I go to town to get him, and he steps into the truck. And I'm going to tell you, these farts, Laura, are not, they're not the typical fart. I'm telling you, they're pretty dang good. And the reason why is this guy's favorite snack, I mean, almost everywhere he went, he carried a jar of pickled eggs. And if you could imagine how bad a pickled egg smells before you eat it, you can only imagine what it's like after the fact. But nonetheless... I go to pick him up, and here he comes easing out of his house. He climbs into the pickup truck, sits right beside him his, his pickled eggs, and he's sitting over there, and I'm watching the whole time I'm driving back to the house. I'm just watching him. And sure enough, I see him lean over, and he begins to hike that leg. No, you don't, Jim Bob. Don't you fart in this truck, by golly. You're not going to fart in here today. And I'll be darned if he doesn't put his leg back down and makes the ride out to the ranch just as quiet as you can imagine. He didn't do a thing. Well, we get back to the ranch, and my stepdad says, well, did he fart in the truck? <laughs> He says, no, sir, he didn't. Did you tell him not to? I said, yeah. He said, see how that works? Now, you might be thinking now, Laura, what the heck does this have to do with training horses? Well, you see, horses are going to do horse things. They're going to act like horses. They're just going to do what comes natural to them or what they think we want them to do. So if we don't like it, it's up to us to tell them where those boundaries are. So just like old Joe Bob, he was just as happy as could be to comply but it was up to me to have the courage to tell him what the boundaries were. So we have to keep that in mind with our horses. If we don't want them to run from us, then we have to tell them not to run from us. And we have to be able to be reinforce that. If we want them to stand quietly and politely, we have to teach the horse how to stand quietly and politely. But first of all, we have to know where our boundaries are and then later how to communicate those boundaries to the horses. Now, Laura, why were you cracking up so bad? <laughs> trying to get it together here. <laughs> it, it, it occurs to me that this is the same principle that you were talking about in a previous episode would apply. The sort of theme, the title of this show, Ride Every Stride, kind of applies here in the sense of if the first time the horse is doing something you don't want them to do, you want to deal with it right then right. and not tolerate it and think, oh, he's just a baby or, oh, I'll, I'll take care of that later. Right. Because they're very much in the moment. And if you do something later, they're not going to remember that you're reacting to. Exactly. And part of the groundwork is, is that understanding what it is that we want. And then, like you said, be able to tell them at the moment that it happens, if that's either acceptable or unacceptable. If it's acceptable, we just leave it alone. We don't do anything. If it's unacceptable, then we have to do something to communicate to the horse that that's not what we want. So we have to be able to, to do that. And again, that's part of that interaction 
of the groundwork interaction because it's something that we do every time we work with our horses. And again, I'm going to emphasize, we spend 85% of our time on the ground. So there's tons of times there for us to be able to work with these situations. And then the the groundwork process, we, we have to also understand that there is a process. In other words, I keep feel like I'm going back and forth here, but in everything that we ask the horse to do, we also have to understand how horses respond and how they react. And and part of that is, again, it's our, re, our responsibility to have the research enough about our horses to understand how they learn. And so, if, if again, if it's something that the horse is doing that we like, all we have to do is nothing, just accept that whatever it is that he's doing. But if he's doing something that we don't like, we're going to have to correct that. So now the question is, well, how do you correct it? Well, we don't correct it by smacking on them. We don't correct it by hitting on them. For example, we mentioned earlier about horses nipping and biting. I've literally seen people waiting for the horse to bite them. And the minute the horse nips at them, they just knock the heck out of it. And then they wonder later why the horse won't allow them to handle their muzzle and that why the horse has got a bidding problem. Or every time they go to wave at a neighbor, why the horse jumps away. And what, I, what I'm saying is that every time they do something wrong and you smack them, Horses will never know one way or the other whether that they did was correct or incorrect just by you smacking on them. The better way for a horse to learn is through the application of some sort of pressure, some sort of, and when I say pressure, something to make the horse understand that he's about to consume energy, he's about to consume calories. The fastest way to get a horse to understand that the behavior they just did was incorrect is by getting the horse to move his feet because moving his feet consumes energy, it consumes calories. And again, I mentioned earlier, horses have a great big body and a little bitty stomach. So if we can get them to move their feet and consume energy, the horse is going to be seeking out the conservation of that energy. So the minute the horse does something that we do like that's positive, we stop and let the horse rest. So every time the horse does something we don't like, we put him to work. And when I put him to work, I'm not always thinking in terms of just punishing him. I don't. Matter of fact, my brain doesn't even wrap around the concept of punishing an animal. What it does, it comes into the concept of training him. So let's say that I'm working a horse and um, let's say he kind of violates my space by stepping toward me and he steps on my toe. Our first instinct would be, number one, get this darn thing off my toe. We want to whack him, do whatever it takes to get this horse off our toe. But my question is, how did he step on your toe? Because he violated your space. So what we want to do is we want to begin to work on this horse moving away and out of your space. And we can do that by driving our energy at the body part, let's say it's his left foot that stepped on you, drive your energy and drive your body at his left shoulder. Make that shoulder move away from you. And when I say make it move away, I don't care what means you use. Make the horse uncomfortable enough that he wants to move away from you. And then get him to move forward as if you're going to lunge him around you. As a result of that moving away and then lunging, he's consuming energy. And then you're going to give the horse an opportunity to make the same mistake again. If he stops and you're over there brushing on him or whatever the case may be. If the horse steps toward you again, use that energy to drive him away and make him consume more energy and consume more calories. When he's lunging to your satisfaction, let him stop and rest. After a while, the horse will learn numerous things. Number one, every time I step toward you, you make me go to work. So the horse will learn through the process of elimination, hey, I got this figured out. Just don't step toward Laura's feet and I don't have to go to work. But in the meantime, as you are working him, you're working on him lunging properly. And what I mean by properly is you're working on him being soft on the lead rope. You're working on him's forward movement, making sure it's correct. So you're working on that aspect as well. So now the horse is also learning that. But he's also learning that whenever he does those things correctly, he gets to do what? He gets to rest. He gets an opportunity to stand still and be mannerly. 
So that's what I mean about the groundwork process. It's us knowing where our boundaries are, us being courageous enough to kind of stand up for those boundaries, us being communicative enough to teach the horse what it is that we want from them, and for us to end up in the long run with a much better, safer, more responsive animal. And it seems to me that timing is really important in both, because you were saying that you teach them to not do whatever it was you didn't want them to do by putting them to work, but it's not just pointless work. You're actually working on something they need to work on anyway, but it's just an active thing. But the timing of knowing when to stop. Yes. And and that has come a question. When do you know when to stop? Well, look for and strive for perfection. You're never going to get it. But at the same time, it's something we're always going to strive for. So when the horse begins to get something right, let's say we're lunging him, let's say we're lunging him to the left, we're lunging him to the left at a trot. When the horse is soft on my lead rope, in other words, he's not pulling on me, He's got good forward movement and good forward propulsion, and he's doing so in a, in a way that looks quiet, looks relaxed, looks like something that I'm targeting, looks toward the path of perfection. That's when I'm going to stop and give the horse an opportunity to relax. So in other words, it, it, you're right. The timing is imperative, not just from, and we also have to kind of keep in mind or prioritize what we're really trying to teach him. I mean, are we really concerned about him lunging perfectly? Or are we really concerned about him learning to stay out of our space in this very specific thing. In this specific thing, I really don't care if he's lunging perfectly. I'm just shooting for some sort of betterment. But most importantly, I want to put him to work immediately after he does something wrong so that he's learned that that was the wrong thing to do. And after a while, he's looking for that peace, if you will. Horses love to do a whole bunch of nothing. And I like to reward them with a whole bunch of nothing. So whenever they're doing something correct, they're left alone. When they're doing something incorrect, we're going to put them to work. Okay, But I never allow my mind to wrap around the concept of punishment because they just don't understand that. What they do understand is, is the consumption of energy, consumption of calories, and the release from that pressure, which is the opportunity to rest and relax. Well, you know, here's another thing that I want to emphasize, too, is that the whole purpose of our groundwork is to, number one, have safer horses. For horses that are untrained to saddle work, then our purpose for groundwork is to prepare them for the saddle work. So everything we do on the ground needs to have some sort of application for what's going to take place in the saddle. And that's something that's extremely important for me. For those of you who don't know, you know, I've been to row to the horse twice. I was a competitor in both 2005 and 2006. Some people might say that I'm a cult starting specialist. I don't necessarily like to say that, but without sounding too boastful, I am, I would say, beyond the expert status of a cult starter. And part of that reason is that I break things down from, number one, understand the horse for what it is, and then and use his instinct and his skills in a way that I can get that directed toward what it is that I want. Understanding very carefully what the horse wants and understanding what it is that I want, and then bridging that gap and doing so in a way that gives me the functionality of having a horse prepared to be ridden for the first time. So my groundwork is very much detailed to the preparation for what's going to take place in the saddle. One of the things that people ask about a lot, and something that I have struggled with, I guess I'll put it in these terms, talk about leading a horse and how you teach a horse. I mean, I understand what you've talked about, putting them to work when they don't do it right, et cetera. But what is the ideal way for a horse to be led and how do you get them to do that? Because I've had trouble with horses that want to either walk too close or run ahead of me or or lead me. Well, that's, some of that's a personal preference thing. For example, uh, in the show horse world, we want all of our horses to lead with um, 
oh, their throat latch about even with our shoulders, which is a little bit ahead of us. Not, not much, but just a little bit ahead of us. Their head is slightly ahead of our shoulder. I'm personally not a fan of that. I mean, if I was a show horse person, I would definitely want to do that. If I was show, you know, showing halter horses, because I would that's what the that. judges look. Because for. that's what we look for from the judge's perspective. For me, on the everyday use, I like for a horse to trail slightly behind me, but I don't ever want to have to pull on one. And you might ask, well, why do I want him slightly behind me? Is that I'm trying to number one? If the horse is slightly behind me, he can see me now with both eyes. He can see me with both his left eye and his right eye. So he's there's no doubt that he knows where I am. Therefore, if something spooks him from one direction or the other, in this case, preferably, or, or maybe from behind us, if he sees me, he's got an opportunity to avoid me. But if he doesn't, that tells me then that he doesn't respect me enough. That if he doesn't respect where I am and to move away from me, if something behind him spooks him, um, then it's my job to kind of earn that respect, so to speak. But to answer your question, if, and when I, how I want one to lead is I want him to lead very quietly, just slightly behind me and on a very loose lead rope. I want him to follow me because he wants to follow me, not because I'm having to drag him to where I want to go. So how we get that achieved is, is that I start all of mine just in the round pen. And long before I ever put a halter or a lead rope on them, I teach them how to lead. I know that sounds really odd, but what it is is that I'll put the horse to work in the round pen and he's, he's resting when he is at a very specific spot in relationship to where I'm positioned. And in this case, I'll have him resting just right next beside me. When I go to walk away, his options are either to come with me or to let me walk around him to the point where I'll put him back to work again. And after a while, he'll figure out that as long as he's in that spot, he's not working. So it's, it doesn't take long at all for a horse to figure out that it doesn't matter if I walk or if I jog, this horse is going to stay right there in that spot because it's a heck of a lot easier being far away from me to where he can actually be put to work. So in other words, there's his resting spot. That becomes his spot of most of the most comfort. Sometimes walking is still work, but it's easier than what I'd do if he was far away from me. Sometimes when I'm jogging and the horse is having a trot beside me, that's hard work, but it's much easier than if he's far away from me and we put him to work even harder and faster. So he wants to be beside me because that's the safest, most comfortable place for him to be. Once I've got him leading without a halter and lead rope, it's a piece of cake, isn't it? Just to put a halter and lead rope on him. And now he goes because now my job isn't about necessarily teach him how to lead. It's just to teach him how to be soft and responsive to the halter and to the lead rope. Now for the horses that are bad about going in front of me, same situation. The minute that horse passes me, I make him go to work. And by go to work, you mean you send him off and make him lope. You betcha. I put him off at a hard trot or put him off at a lope. In other words, I make him pass me so that every time he goes past me, he's got something to think about. And what it also does is, it's really strange, but it makes the horses accountable for their own actions. All you're doing is just enforcing it. It's your idea to go past me? Good, I'm going to send you past me. It's your idea to go past me? I'm going to show you how bad your idea sucks. <laughs> you know, my idea is for you to walk here beside me. And here, you get to rest. You get to relax. And, and keep in mind, my big thing with horses is always determining leadership. You have to be a strong enough human being to be a good leader respectable leader to this horse. And you can do that not by beating on them, not by whipping on them or doing anything else. You're doing it just by supporting both your decision as well as the horse's decision. Your decision hopefully is the right decision. If you support that and stand up for it and teach the horse how to respect that, you're good to go. But if the horse insists on making the decision, your job is, is to show him that his idea and his decision is a bad one. How do we get really good leaders? Our leaders are chosen by who makes the best decisions on the behalf of the group. In this case, on behalf of me and the horse. 
When the horse makes decisions, it inadvertently costs him more energy and more exercise, more calories. When I make decisions, he still may be working, but he's working more efficiently. So over time, who makes the best decisions on our behalf, me and the horse? I do. So if I do that consistently, the horse is quite happy to say, okay, dude, you're the leader. I'm going to let you make the decisions. So if his decision is to pass me, I'm going to reinforce his decisions. Okay, go ahead. And I'm going to show him how going ahead of me consumes more energy and more work. That walking beside me is the best of the two places, the best options. And after a while, my decisions are better. He'll quite happily choose my decision. So it's a process. It's not something that's going to happen just overnight. No, it never is, is it? When we're working mm-hmm. with horses, it's always a process of time. And, and that's when, when people are getting involved with horses, I truly hope that they're into it for the long haul, that they're into it for the enjoyment, not of just those little minor experiences. You know, for example, there's, there's people out who love roping and there's people out who love barrel racing. There's people out who love trail riding. But the reality is we don't have horses just to barrel race. We don't have horses just to team rope. We don't have horses just to trail ride. We have horses all the time, and we experience those things a very short part of that horse ownership time. Our big responsibility to the horse is all those other times, which in turn makes those enjoyable times even more enjoyable. So that's why the groundwork and all the other manners work that we're always talking about, that's why it's so important is because... Horse ownership is a commitment both to ourselves and what it is that we want as well as is the, to the horse and, and how we can help that horse achieve a safer environment as well. Very good. You've touched on a lot of things that obviously could be expanded and will be expanded, I think, in future episodes. You know, and the great way for, to expand on those is that we hope that every episode that we do does nothing more than just kind of plant seeds for other future ideas. And that's why I think it's going to be so important for us to continually invite folks to send in their questions, their comments, maybe on such as a topic of groundwork. Maybe they've got a specific problem they would like for us to cover and like for us to discuss. And we'd be tickled to death to do that. I mean, I welcome the dialogue. Yeah. So if you're listening and you've got, you know, this has spurred some questions or you've recognized some issues you have with your horse, let us know what those are. We we want to make these episodes very specific and very helpful to your the situations that you're dealing with. And you can get us those questions. You can get them to Van in a number of ways. You can send them via email to info at vanhargis.com. You can also go to the website, vanhargis.com. There's a contact tab and there's a place there where you can just put your name and your email address and a question or two. And finally, you can find Van Hargis Horsemanship on Facebook and go there and like the page. And a couple of things will happen as a result of that. That's where we will post updates from time to time of new events that are happening, new products that we're going to make available. But also you can leave your questions. You can put a post there and Van can respond there and also in future episodes of Ride Every Stride. So those are some ways that you can connect and get your questions answered and become part of the conversation that we're hoping to spur, so to speak, on this podcast. (laughs) Anything else you want to say, Van? Other than just a big thank you. You know, Laura, I I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for the people that are supporting us and at the same time for the people that give me an opportunity to do what I love to do, which is help people with their horses and communicate with people about their horsemanship and their humanship. So it's a big, big thank you for that. And I really do look forward to hearing back from those folks that are out there and, and encourage the dialogue. So if you guys would, just please get in contact with us. And until next time, remember, it's your trail. It's your journey. It's your life, so ride every stride.